Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello, welcome. Happy Drive-by Cinema Day. For today is the day for episode 35, Paul. 35 has come into existence, yeah. Of season three of this podcast, watching movies so you don't have to, though. In yes. some cases, we may insist that you do. Well, we usually say you certainly don't have to. Yeah, yeah. We do usually say that. Paul, how have you been since last week? Uh, Very busy. 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 I've been a busy, busy body, yes. Yeah, you kept me waiting for three hours tonight. I stood up. I was sitting here on Zoom, waiting for you patiently. That's something you've not mentioned to me before this started to air, Richard. <laughs> I don't quite believe you. I believe you were happily Let's ensconced. Let's go for 8pm, he said. And here we are. I did now. not say 8pm. <laughs> I said it's going to be really late tonight, Richard. Like, I'm assuming you were happily ensconced in one, your computer game. Two... Setting your lights to different colours. Three, uh, possibly entering the metaverse without encountering a reptilian mark on the ceiling. Well, some of those things may be accurate, may accurately reflect the life I spent. I, hey, I've done exciting things this week. I went to see Orbital live. Did you? Yeah. That's something I've never done and I would have liked to have done when I was a younger person. What, go to see Orbital Live? Because mm. they apparently had a good light show, didn't they? Oh, yeah, that, fabulous. Really, really, really good gig. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've had a very happy day uh, shopping, actually. Uh, I had a break in my work, and I went. I thought, I'll go to the local supermarket and take my time instead of following my shopping list. Oh, I, that's your first mistake. There's nothing in the supermarket, Paul, thanks to Brexit. There is. Because, uh, oh. you know, I'm a fan of uh, American uh, flavoured vegetables. Water. A flavored water. water called. Called. What? Lacroix? Lacroix? Yeah, okay. Lacroix. I think that's French, surely. That well, you think it would be Lacroix, but it's not, it's Lacroix, because it's American. Would be the only explanation for that name. <laughs> right, okay. And, uh, and uh, it's got lovely retro kind of uh, Miami Vice kind of canning, okay. That hasn't really changed, I don't think, for a long time. Uh, but it's a really good flavour of water. So I went in the supermarket. There's kind of like a British version of it called Dash, uh, which isn't as nice. So I, went, I thought I'll you know, buy some nice flavour of water. And I found some CBD oil water instead. So I've got a few cans of that. I might, depending on how stressful you are during this podcast, Richard, resort to drinking one of them. Okay. It's going to surely taste horrible. So I thought I might get Richard uh, on, a, on a potential side rant there about alcohol, tobacco. Aren't they much more dangerous? Why do people ban weed? But there we go. Well, alcohol, tobacco and firearms. The three, the holy trinity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, let's not get on to firearms. Right. Listen, no, I was going to ask you Go on. Um, whether you'd actually managed to see Bobby Finger's The Third. Video. About I haven't the... seen the third. I've seen bits of the third. Well, I've seen bits of the third. I don't fingers. know how you can see bits of it. That's, well, that's well they're chopped up. You know, I've seen bits of Bobby's fingers third. Just, I mean, how can you start watching it and not want to see all the way to the end? I'm demoralised, and I know because you've already said you haven't seen Kung Fury. I've seen, I'm, I'm really impressed by Kung Fury. Uh, I've seen oh. about fifteen minutes of it. So, okay. 
Which are you more impressed by, Bobby Fingers or the Kung Fury video? The, one of the main reasons why we're watching Kung Fury is they're making a sequel. It's been it's been in hiatus for a long time, Richard. It has, but they're making a sequel. And I think Arnold Schwarzenegger is going to be in it. That's true. Yeah. Oh, oh, in, oh in, you know all about it. Right, okay. In terms of production value, in terms of particularly sound production, Kung Fury is just. So evocative and uh, so lo-fi reminiscent of the 80s. In terms of the mannerisms and stuff, it's all very, very well studied. However, uh, I feel after 30 minutes and then a second and then a second short movie, I might feel that it isn't necessarily going places. It might outstay its welcome. Yeah. yeah. Whereas I think Bobby Fingers is usually... Is never going to outstay its welcome. Never going to outstay its welcome, yeah. So I don't know why you haven't managed to complete that. I've simply been very, very busy. Really. Very busy, I know. Why didn't you buy an electronic form in the first place? Because these Question particular mark. books are not available in electronic form. Oh, well, they, yeah, okay. Yeah. Listen, you don't need to plead your case with me. I'm with Lawrence Lessig on that stuff. Hey, you know all this stuff about... I know we go on and on about it every week. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> people are upset what about... recurring recursive about, themes? About AI picture generators, and they're all like, "Oh well, you know, my work has been ingested by the AI. It's regurgitating it. It has been ingested in a certain sense, but you put it on the web. What do they think a human artist does? What does a human artist do all Don't their life? Don't get me started on creativity, please. They look at other things. Actually, this week's film has a big thing about this, so we'll come to it later, perhaps. But it, it's driving me up the wall." Human beings are just remix engines. That's all they're doing. They're just faulty amplifiers. Exactly right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if I mean, if ChatGPT and the rest, uh, you know, uh, Dali and the other one, which we've used for our uh, title, Stable logo. Diffusion Mid Journey, Mid Journey, who shut down their free service, I think. They have yeah. <laughs> because of what people are doing with it. We'll get to that in a sec. But if anything proves anything, it, it proves, you know, binary monkeys are typewriters, doesn't it? That's the one thing it does prove, binary monkeys are typewriters. I mean, I was reading something about, you know... P- the idea these things are self-aware, they're not self-aware. Yet they can program, you know. So, so there we go. Well, I, I don't know how you can conclude they're not self-aware. I don't know how you can conclude I am self-aware. This is Turing's whole point, isn't it? There's no distinction. At the point where you can't tell that you're chatting with a computer, the whole debate about whether it's conscious or not is it's pointlessness. This is, this is also... This is another one of those... True, but we know how they've been programmed. We know they've just simply been programmed with some non-aware, co- non-aware code. Ah, but neural networks, they're not so easy to understand how they've been... I mean, we know how you program a neural network... We don't understand the convolution layers in a neural network. Well, there were just pictures of Donald Trump getting arrested, which is going to happen tomorrow anyway, isn't it? True. Hello, welcome stuff. to April 2023. The Pope in street dance gear as well. <laughs> the, the Pope in a white, like, what do, you, what do they call this? Puffer jacket thing. Oh, was it puffer jacket? I thought it was like a tikini tracksuit or something. I thought it was like doing... <laughs> it's a great idea. It's the next prompt for mid-journey. <laughs> <laughs> like Naples... Naples Street Boy style, or whatever, from you know the early nineties, or whatever. Uh, yeah, well, and so yeah, I mean, it's 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 exploding, isn't it? You know, people are running for the hills, trying to grasp for. 
I know you're probably going to defend Luddites, but Luddite arguments, from what I can see, against against AI. Um, I, angry listeners, please do write in. Tell me that Luddites were a force of revolutionary good, uh, by all means. Uh, uh, but you know, I'm using it in the in the generic sense of the word, i.e., uh, reactionary and and, and backward looking. Okay, I know it's not an accurate description of who the Luddites actually were, uh, and uh, so well, I don't think. Among our listeners, our many listeners, um, I don't think there's many card-carrying Luddites that you're offending <laughs> or risking. I think you're okay. I think it's gloves <laughs> off with that. Well, no, the Luddites had genuine concerns about... Where were we? Okay, so yeah, AI jobs. I don't know. Who knows? This is the point we don't know at the moment, do we? We don't know the effect that AI is going to have. What's, what's for certain is that the people that understand AI and its uses are going to be more employable than those that don't, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a better employment chances for people who embrace it yeah. than sitting in your ass whining about it. <laughs> so, yeah. But I, I do think it will be a tsunami of job change. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Hey, I mean, in our lifetime, all companies had a pool of typists. And when anyone wanted anything printing or letter writing... They dictated what they wanted in a letter on a tape, passed it to the typing pool, and a woman, let's face it, it was almost always a woman, put the tape in a machine and painstakingly <laughs> typed out what the bloke With said. With Tipex on hand, yeah. If they made mistakes, but many of them didn't. But let us now listen to your music, Paul. Our no, music, Richard. Our music, our music. Our fucking music. Here we go. <laughs> I like all your compositions. That is, I have to say, the least favourite. Well, I've got other ones, Richard, if you want to have a listen to those. Paul. <laughs> that was a very well-concealed, world-weary sigh there, Richard. I've asked, I've asked for new music, like every... <laughs> I used to do it every episode, but I stopped You can go and get ChatGPT to convince somebody on TaskRabbit or Fiverr that he's not a robot, he or she is not, it is not a robot... And then it can go and finance some new music for you. Why don't you ask that's ChatGPT a, to write some music idea. for you? That's a great for idea. For crying out loud, if you don't like my Bon Tempo efforts. Paul, listen. In you don't like my Allegro, my British Leyland Allegro efforts. <laughs> I do like it. In 2004, one man had a singular oh, vision. He's got my run short. This is the, the only bit about... This film that you understand, maybe I should leave the uh, economics of this film to you. No, I was going to say it's very, very, very impressive. Is he called Sean? Sean Carruth, yeah. Amazing. He no, wrote Shane this. Carruth, not Sean. He wrote it, he, sc- he screenplayed it, he directed it, he produced it, and he did some did of the, the music. Oh, the music. He did so. the music, Paul, just like you. Go. That's the link, isn't it? That is the link, yeah. He spent $7,000 making this film, so he says. And most of that was on film stock and renting the camera and developing the film, which presumably is also very expensive. Presumably he cajoled his mates to do the acting. Well, 
the other guy, David Sullivan, is an actor-actor. I think everybody else basically are his mates and family and stuff. So which one is is the guy that wrote it? Is that Abe, the blonde guy? No, it, it's the dark-haired guy, Shane Carruth. Aaron, okay. Abe right. is David Sullivan. He's a, a, just an actor. Well, just right, an actor. Okay. He's a great actor. Amazingly, uh, so Sean, who plays Aaron, uh, he has a degree in mathematics and in engineering, I think, but then he went back to learn physics before, you know, committing this to celluloid. Uh, and he, it was his decision not to dumb it down at all, you know, not to have curious sort of, uh, you know, le- professor in the lecture hall giving out an exposition with chalk on the board uh, halfway through the movie kind of stuff, okay, was to explain it as... Scientists, physicists would explain it with, you know, with acronyms, with shortened terms, with their terms of reference, uh, and to keep it as real as possible. So that I thought was a brave decision. Decision that maybe led to him being awarded whatever it was, uh, the Palm Door. Awards? I don't know, Sundance Festival? Ever. I don't Sundance, yeah, Sundance. It's a time travel movie. Many say it's... The- the most complicated time travel movie. Well, um, we, we didn't have Tenet at that point, did we? Tenet and Primer share a lot of qualities, actually, and uh-huh. it must sure, Primer must surely be a huge uh, influence on uh, on Tenet. And here's why. Here's why. For those who don't know, Primer is a time travel movie. Let's just get that out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um. But here's a key thing about time travel in Primer. Just like in Tenet. In, and this is what Shane said about his one of his motivations for doing this film. You know, in Back to the Future, when they go back to the 1950s, they do so in an instant. You know, they get in a DeLorean, they go to 88 mm. miles an hour. Pop, it's suddenly in 1950s. Mm-hmm. As we have maybe commented before, if you were to do that, of course... If you didn't move in space, you would find yourself in space because the Earth wouldn't be where it was and stuff in the, in the 1950s. It'd be a different place, wouldn't it? So, not liking that, you know, mistake, as it were, that, that lack of logic, Shane wanted to portray time travel in a way that, you know, kept you with the, the frame of reference of the Earth. And so in Primer you have to spend as long going backwards in time as you want to go back. So if you wanted to do a Marty McFly and go back to the 1950s, you'd have to spend, you know, 70 years or whatever, whatever it is now, good God, <laughs> to go back to the 1950s. You have to Stop a second. How long ago did the World, World, World War II start, Richard? Yeah. I mean, it's, what, 80 years ago now or something? Yeah. Oh. Ni- 90 years ago. 80 Four years ago. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's it's like those things where, you know, you say you're, you're closer to, oh, uh, like the steam engine was closer to the <laughs> moon landing than we are, or something. Like, you know, some crazy shit like that. It's not true, is it? But there we go. So you're saying in this movie they can only travel back in time at time speed. Exactly right. Exactly right. So, when, but let, maybe we should just explain this film. And I should also say, or maybe first, I should ask you this question. Mm-hmm. It relates to both Tenet and Primer. And this may 
help you understand both better. Or it may confuse you. So here's a question, Paul. Suppose you have just made a time machine similar to the Primer one, or a turnstile similar to the, the Tenet one. Okay. If you, you've just finished it. You've put the finishing touch to it. Yeah. What's the first thing you do? The first thing I do... Have it, you, aside you, from... You've done all the theory. You've done all the theory. You've got your whiteboard. You've done your calculations. What do you call it when you use a sword to open up champagne? Epauletier? <laughs> oh, sabrage, isn't it? A sabrage, sabrage yeah. I wouldn't do sabrage or anything like that, but I would have some cheap carver. Right, some nice. Spanish champagne, yeah. you know, yeah. chilled and waiting. Uh, yeah. Maybe a demi-bottle, or maybe just like a little quarter bottle, you know, the ones you buy for £4. That's lovely, yeah. Because, you know, uh, th- I'd definitely do that. Who are you inviting around? Nobody. Oh, just on your own? Yeah. And what do you that, do I mean, that's my problem. I think I don't think I would do this because, you know, this level of any, you know, this level of technical endeavour, or even creative endeavour, uh, homage to ChatGPT, I wanted to say creative, creative from now on, uh, I think you need to have a strong collaborative spirit, which I don't have. Right. I certainly found, you know, when I've had these ideas myself, in particular, sort of uh, uh, reactive learning ecosystems that I hope to build myself. Uh, I'd be like that guy that spent his whole lifetime building a cathedral. I'd try and do it all on my own. And so, I, one, I don't think I'd ever arrive in a situation where I was at bleeding edge or leading edge discovery. Ever. But let's say somehow I had a different personality and I was able... Yeah, this is a thought experiment, Paul, rather than a... a, a but you're asking what session. I would do, and that relates to my personality, you see. I was saying my personality being as it is. Yeah, I understand the trap they fall into here, yes. So, uh, assuming that I was able to work collaboratively but still possess the same personality I do now, obviously, uh, I presume I'd be doing it collaboratively. I would hide away the discovery for everybody else. Okay, yeah. But obviously. suppose... Suppose you've just you've done all the theory. You're certain it's going to work, pretty much. You've just put the last component in place. You've plugged it in and you switched it on. What do you do now with your new invention? No, I've seen it. I've seen it work, or I'm about to see it work. You've never seen it work. This is the first time you're plugging it in, and it's working. And I, well, what do you do, Paul? That's what I'm asking you. Yeah, I can't answer. Video. I do what a dog did. I take a video of it. You do what a dog did. Dog did in back oh, to the dog. future. Oh, dog! Right. You'd take it. You'd set a video camera. Yeah, up. that's great. And then what would you do? Brief monologue to camera. Yeah, and then. And then, either with the you know the auto control, or you know pulling on the tripod, move the camera slowly around to the machinery. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Great. And then what do you do? Then I press start. Obviously. You press start, and then what do you do? Does it work or not? I don't know. Okay, so how are you going to test whether it works? What what do you do? What test would you propose? Come monkey, on, put a monkey in there, like the Russians did, or something. You know. Okay, okay. Smart not to put yourself in there because what you've just done is you've doomed that monkey, right? Pretty much. What compared to a lifetime of pestering tourists in Thailand? I don't think I have doomed it. Listen. Here's the thing about the time machines in both Tenet and Primer. And it's, it's a common thing that people have said about time machines and, you know, why haven't we been visited by time travellers from the future if you can time travel, stuff like that. Sometimes people say of, of that 
suggestion. Well, the thing about a time machine is you can't go back any further than the first one was invented. And that is true in the Primer universe and in the Tenet universe. So when you invent a Primer or Tenet time machine and you switch it on, what you do not do is put anything in it because what you have made is the outhole for a, a backwards time-travelling thing from the future. Correct. That's right. So, if you were in the Tenet universe and you tried to get a monkey in there, even if it worked, I'm not sure it would, what you've done is you've, sent, you've turned a monkey's time-travel backwards and you're now sending it backwards in time forever because we know there is no other turnstile prior to the one you've just built so it can never invert itself and come back to normal time and in primer as we see later it can in the go film, to the future though can't it paul no one wants a time machine to go into the future because we're already doing that <laughs> and we're, actually we're doing that at the speed of light i know That's it's not like the monkey would cease to exist it would just but it would be irretrievably going backwards in time in Tenet. And in the Primer universe, as we see, because Abe is smart, he explains this the first time he describes using it, he puts the thing on a timer so it only switches on after he's left the room because he doesn't want to have to deal with meeting himself coming out of it. Because, again, you're, you're building the out point for a, a future time tunnel. So we have to explain that the loop that occurs uh, with time travel in this movie is that you put an object in in your current time, time A, at point A. Yes. At space time A. And there's a chance, there's a bubble chance, there's a quantum chance it will emerge where it started or emerge at a time future. Is that right? Well, let's come back to that because that's... Okay, we'll come back to that. I just wanted to make that point, Paul, that when you make one of these time machines, you're making the out point for a future time travel event. Okay, that may help. I don't know, maybe it won't help. But the story of, t of Primer starts with a little, uh, what's it, like a, uh, a Silicon Valley startup style. Four guys in a garage. Kind of, well, old style, like Google style stuff. Old style, absolutely, yeah. I, yeah, I just style. loved this movie. It took us back to a time where I think... Uh, before social media, where lives are a little bit more sober. People are living in their own being. It's quite interesting, actually, how different life was back then. Just Time travel potentially very complicated in this film, but in Primer, really, it's a story about trust. Fundamentally, it's the breakdown of trust between tech bros doing a tech startup and yes. the internecine conflict that occurs when they realise they may have something valuable and what happens from that. The two of them Couples. have no quibbles about throwing the other two out, though, do they? Exactly. There's four exactly. of them when they start, you know. Starts with four of them. They're making some kind of plug-in peripheral card for computers. Is that what they're doing? Okay. They've got several it's... on the go, several different projects on the go, but the one they're all pursuing together as four is that plug-in. There's Philip, who's ethnic and does the programming, I think. There's Robert, and He's who played by... his oh. actor. The actor playing that guy is actually the cameraman. <laughs> really? Makes sense. There's Robert, who I couldn't really distinguish from Aaron in terms of looks. They look almost indistinguishable. 
And then then there's Abe and Aaron, the two pair that sort of persist uh, down the rest of the movie. So, and I always think of Abe and Aaron as A A and A B. Everybody's dressed 2003 style, like they're in David Brent's The Office. White shirt, tie, you know, striped tie. This is before Sex in the City. This is before kind of like, uh, you know, uh, self-indulgent sort of uh, consumerist therapy, uh, living large. Everybody's quite sober in this movie, aren't they? Everybody has a hold on their emotions and uh, leave quite ordered, quite meaningful lives, I think. Now, apart from the peripheral that they've been mailing out to far too few customers to really excite Aaron, Abe and Aaron are also working, well, I think all of them, but particularly they're working on something that's, I think, superconducting. Yeah, and it's not a Tesla coil. They are lowering temperatures, and I think they're probably trying to do some kind of room temperature superconducting thing. Yeah. Which is interesting because recently some guy announced a, a, a close to room temperature superconductor breakthrough. Well, I mean, superconductivity was all the thing, wasn't it? Physics, back in the day when physics was in the ascendance, I mean, I think, you know, biochemistry these days is where the money is in terms of science, isn't it? Uh, I mean, physics has kind of fallen off the radar and off the map pretty much. I mean, there isn't that much excitement apart from the huge kind of. Uh, uh, sort of super super governmental kind of collider stuff. Uh, I mean, physics just doesn't make the headlines anymore, does it? But it was for 15, 20 years. I mean, superconductivity was the place to be, wasn't it? And uh, I don't know if it has delivered or not delivered. I mean, the interesting thing about superconductivity is that there aren't a lot of electrons flowing in there. It's just that they're moving at very high speeds. A lot to say about that. There's a, apparently there's a reproducibility crisis in solid state physics. Really. And this guy who announced this That's very it's high not temperature... not physics, it's material science, isn't it? It is material science, absolutely, yeah. Which is borderline chemistry, yeah. Borderline chemistry, for crying out loud. <laughs> and he... Uh, it's an obsession with outer shells of electrons. It doesn't do it! You know, it's simpler than knitting patterns, for crying out loud. <laughs> Sorry, any chemist out there. But apparently, uh, he had his results analysed, and some guys noticed... There's a really good YouTube stuff about this... Some guys noticed that on his his graphs, where he shows his experimental data with the voltage drop, you know, for the or voltage increase or whatever for the superconductivity um, transition point, they can see that the noise that exists as a, the wiggly line, you know, on the baseline, is the same in two separate experiments. You know, you can just transpose the noise. So he's wow. obviously copied the data. From one run to another. Why? Who knows? Either he's just trying to make the graph clearer or something, but there's something fishy going on. So there's all this highly dubious stuff around these claims. So I wouldn't be expecting a superconducting room temperature device anytime soon, but we'll see. But these guys are doing stuff in the garage. Who knows what it's... Sorry, garage, if you're American. Uh, What they're doing is... We don't really know. Lots of liquid nitrogen involved, taking the temperatures down. Discussions about platinum versus palladium. Uh, Again, this really takes me back, you know, uh, widely toted to go in terms of price per ounce to sort of soar past gold. Never happened because I guess superconductivity and the rest never really happened, yeah. Now they need copper tubing and possibly Freon. Uh, Aaron's just got a new fridge because it had a big red ribbon on it. 
interesting. Uh, so they go to Abe's place and cannibalise his. I think they also cannibalise his catalytic converter for the Palladium, don't they? Now, they've got ears on their competitor, which I assume is another startup <coughs> in a garage, yeah? Or is it the Russians? I don't know. I wasn't really following that clearly. No, no. They're chasing VC. They're chasing VC. Uh, and but apparently somebody else has got a mercury bath, and they think... And yeah, because this isn't their day job. They've got other yeah. jobs as well, and they're all also working in engineering. And so they're picking up hints about other projects and things. I, I see. Uh, so whatever it is, whatever they're doing initially, it looks like it might reduce the the mass or the weight, at least, of an object in the field. So it might be a diamagnetism thing, like the way they levitate yeah. frogs and that kind of stuff. Who Nothing knows? too weird about that. So Nothing far, so weird. good. But potentially pleasing for them. So... Um, after they build this sort of sealed box, don't they? Yeah, have um, they put the ferrous confetti in it? Has, has the confetti started floating at this point? The what confetti? Ferrous, or sort of metal-like confetti. Oh, bits. no, no, no. They, it's hole punches, isn't it? Oh. They, they get a hole punch and get all the paper I used bits. I to love that. The, the stuff left in hole punches. <laughs> and then they throw it in the field that they built. I see. And it all kind of floats. The only visual effect in the entire movie. And you only see it through the viewfinder of his DV camcorder. Which is why I probably didn't know it was hole punch stuff. Yeah, now they want to weigh this. They don't want to weigh it in grams. They want to weigh it in decigrams. Or decagrams. So he says it's 77 77 grams. says, no, 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 you've got to weigh that in decagrams. It's okay, 7.7 decagrams. I don't know what that was about. They don't know what metric is to do that. They're trying to write metric. It's just charming. It's a charming Americanism. Weebles, by the way, what is a weeble? Do you know what a weeble is? Weebles wobble, they don't fall down. Did you have a weeble? I did have a weeble, yeah. Apparently, Aaron found it, oh, sorry, Shane found it very difficult to get hold of a weeble, although he wrote it in the script as a weeble. So he ended up having to go on eBay and buy, like, weeble sets, you know. Entire weeble. They put a weeble in there, yeah. They put a weeble in there and they see that the mass seems to go down. Uh, Ooh, and then they know all this stuff about whether it's um, you know running on its own, don't they? They've got a couple of car batteries running this. I don't know. That why. was interesting. And he said, you know, how how much is this pumping out? He says twelve volts. He said, how much about that one? Twelve volts. And he disconnects the two of them. Is that right? And still the thing is running, coming away happily. On yeah. So it, it winds down, but you know it's still interesting that it carries on for a while. It is interesting. Yeah. I wasn't quite sure that they understood how voltage and batteries work, though. You don't, you don't really draw volts out of a battery, do you? Draw current. You go, you draw current. That's how you, or charge even over time. Yeah. But you don't. You, the voltage stays the same until the end, doesn't it? Basically, until the metal has been sacrificed or whatever. Yeah. So, um, well, they decide that they're going to keep this from the other two because this seems exciting, and. Abe, uh, Aaron is going to leave Abe to figure this out, what the hell is going on, write it up. Maybe they can publish, who knows, but there's something here. They're also chasing after funding from the love interest of Abe called Rachel. Her father, I think, called Thomas Granger. He might be able to... They're trying to court him, aren't they, for funding. They go to parties where he's there. But this, it says at one point that they treat them like um, six-year-olds which is interesting, an interesting observation, because this film really is about 
men with the EQ of six-year-olds, isn't it? <laughs> so that's the introduction, okay? And at this point, things are going to start getting weird. Yes. Nothing about this film from this point on... Makes sense. <laughs> Very harsh, Paul. It makes perfect sense if you pay attention. Fuck off. Now, like every time travel movie, we know that there is a moment which gets repeated... Yes. And it's it's important to understand the reason it's being repeated. It's a motif that helps you understand that time travel is happening and so on. So here is our first time travel motif where we see Abe. Um, he's opening the door from blackness onto the roof of a building in the sunlight. Bright sunlight mm-hmm. is blinding us. And he looks out from this vantage point onto a sort of plaza or square and he sees his friend Aaron sitting down on a bench down there. Easily identifiable. Um, this is a bit symbolic, you know. This is supposedly Abe with knowledge that Aaron doesn't have looking out, you know. And he's mm-hmm. from an elevated position. He's above him in a way. Trust is already breaking down between these two buddies. Who have already, by the way, kind of locked out their, their other two partners. So they're duplicitous already, in a sense, aren't they? We then see him going down to speak to Aaron on the bench. And Aaron is sitting there. He's got an earpiece in. Apparently he's listening to March Madness, which I think is some kind of basketball thing, isn't it? Or is it baseball? It's a sports event, anyway. You're aware of that, right? Oh, so you had no idea what he was talking about, then? So he's listening to sports. He says he's listening to sports. On his so door. paying attention wouldn't have helped to understand that, would it, Rich? <laughs> not if you don't have a basic sort of grounding in popular culture in the US, no, I suppose well, not. There we go. So, Abe is now going to is- explain to Aaron what he's discovered about their invention, about their box. Yeah. And but the way he's going to do it is... Throw Aaron in there. He's going to take Aaron through the same steps that he went through. Mm-hmm. And this involves a couple of things. First of all, the Weeble keeps winding up being covered with a material that they don't understand, like yellowy goo stuff. So they take it to be analysed at a lab locally. The lab says that it's a kind of protein that a fungus um, excretes. Mm. Uh, but it would take it a real long time to, you know... Um, to produce as much of this protein. I didn't really get that. It depends how much fungus is there producing it, doesn't it? Well, the suggestion by the bio guy in the laboratory was that in the best conditions mm. in a laboratory, they can grow, you know, so much over, you know, several days. I see. Uh, but it's everywhere. It is, you know, in every cupboard and every drawer and stuff. So if you leave things for long enough, this fungus will grow. Ah, but in non-ideal conditions, it's much, much slower. It would take years to get that kind of growth. And so initially, you know, Aaron says, what? So this is an incubator for fungus. And Abe says, oh, that's not what it is. And then he talks about putting his watch in the box. Putting your watch in the box. Well, what happened? You know, I want you to do it. What, digital or analogue? No, I want you to do it. So, obviously, they go back to the garage now and they're going to put a box, uh, a watch, sorry, in the box. Yeah. Now, this now, the is time the point. Was, the times that the watch came out with was very critical. 
but so so this cool. is the explanation bit. Like all time travel films, as you said, they don't do it with a professor and a whiteboard here. They do it in the garage. With yeah, a... they take no prisoners. They're just like, it's going to be hard science, so we're going to explain it like scientists would do. So and... what they do is they put the watch in for one minute, right? Between 12 and 12.01. Okay. Uh, and at the end of which, they take the watch out. And then they look at the time that is on the watch that's been in the box. And the time on the watch is much, much longer than the one minute they put it in for. It's like 1,300 minutes or something they say, don't they? So Abe's explanation after, after all of his study is, and he draws a little ellipse with an A on the left and a B on the right. And he says what's happening is the watch is going in the box at A, it's going back to B, curving around, coming back to A, and it's doing that. Lots and lots of times. It's, it's Doing that, is it going forward or backwards or nowhere? Both. It goes forward and then it goes back and then it goes forward. So why is back. the time what's going forward? Because, uh, because to the for the watch, the world line of the watch is it is spending all of that time as it goes around ah, the, okay. the loop, but we're only experiencing the minute. That are the two ends of that loop. You see, Abe's what, what I thought was that when it goes in a loop, is it going backwards in time or forwards in time, essentially? It's a loop. It goes forwards and then it goes back. And then it curves around and goes forwards and it curves around and goes back. So it can't ever go forwards and forwards again? No. No. Ah. That's right. Now... Abe has because if it figured, could go forwards and forwards again, it would like Pachinko. It could go forwards, 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 backwards, backwards, backwards. And then it would only pop out when it comes back to where it started to, kind of thing. And then you might get really long journeys of a million years or really short journeys of just one or two seconds, you see. Well, Abe's theory not is... That, is Abe's theory is that there's like a, a random probability of when it pops out of the loop. Mm-hmm. So when they take it out of the box... 1300 is like your average, it's like your mean time that spends in the loops. But he's smart enough to realise that if you are intelligent enough to step out of the box at the right point, you could get in on the B side and step out on the A side a minute earlier. That's his theory. But to do that, obviously, he needs a bigger box. And Aaron's like, step ahead of him, goes, oh, we could build a bigger one, right? Um, and they're thinking he's trying to think of all these ways, but Abe's already done this. He says, I've already built a box. Uh, and he then takes Aaron, drives him in his car to an out of town storage place, mm-hmm. and he gives him a pair of binoculars. And he tells him, You know, before you see what you see, you know, I just want, to, want you to know you have to trust me, kind of thing. Again, Imagine trying to tell somebody that you've just travelled in time. It would be quite a tricky proposition. But he hands Aaron the binoculars. Aaron looks towards the storage facility and he sees, walking toward it and through the door, he sees Abe, who is also sitting right next to him, carrying, like, some gas cylinder or something. Freaky. Long-lost twin, obviously. (laughs) 
<laughs> you might think so. Abe takes him into the storage facility now, and he, uh, you know, he signs in and he goes to the appropriate locker and he opens it, and in there is a sort of coffin-shaped Heath Robinson-looking box mm-hmm. with all these plates stuck to it and wires leading from it and a timer on it, and he explains that this is the box that he's built and that he has just got in the box with that gas canister, that cylinder, and he's now going backwards in time to the start of the day. It's Monday that this is all happening. How do you get in on, how do you get in on side B? I don't understand how... Do you have to go on a physically different side of the box? Or? Well, here's what you do. Here's what you do. On the Monday morning, Abe goes into the storage facility... And he's going to switch on the box at 9am or whatever. Here's the thing, though. He knows that when he switches the box on, future him is going to step out. He doesn't want that. So he sets a little timer so it doesn't turn on yet. And then he gets the fuck out of there. And he says that he goes to a hotel room. Now, the reason for this is he wants to sequester himself away mm-hmm. to make sure... He doesn't affect anything. To the extent he turns off all the electronics. He unplugs the phone, turns his cell phone off. He doesn't want to have any chance of influencing anything because, like a lot of time travellers in a lot of the films that we've experienced, he's frightened of what would happen if he sets up a paradox situation. So his best bet is not to influence anything. Now... Whilst he's leaving the storage facility and going to the hotel, meanwhile in the box, it switches on 15 minutes later and out steps Aaron from later in the afternoon. He's spent all day in the box, or six hours in the box. And it's this Aaron who's travelled back in time who now goes to find... uh, Sorry, this Abe who now goes to find Aaron sitting in the plaza to explain this all to him having lived through the day already. Um, Meanwhile, the Abe that's in the hotel room gets close to three o'clock. He goes and gets an oxygen canister because inside these boxes is argon, you understand, so you need oxygen to go. And some Dramamine or something to put him out for the six hours so he's not too bored. He travels to the storage facility where, unknown to him, He's being observed, through binoculars, presumably. And he um, uh, he gets in the box, puts himself to sleep, and he sets his alarm so that he wakes up six hours later where he jumps out of the box and starts the day all over again. Right, but how does he go backwards in time? When you get in the box, it things are going back... You start going backwards in time. I thought A to B was forwards in time. Uh, well, it does both. But if you get in at the B end... But how do you get in the B end? You leave the box running all day. And now it's been running, and then you switch it off or something, I guess. And then you get in it, uh, or you get in it and switch it off. And then you are now running back to the A end, at which point... I'm just... I just I'm sorry. I just don't get that bit at all. Why does it... <laughs> what? 
swan. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever physics allows it to work, when you get in it, at the end of the day, you start running back to the beginning of the day. If you don't switch it off, but you switch it off, so I'm guessing you've disconnected from that rest of the day. No, but you're going backwards in time, so the important bit is that the box was on all day. And and you run until the box was switched on in the morning at 9am, and then Mm. you pop out. I can vaguely accept that. That was a bit I didn't really get at all, was how they went backwards in time. Now, what's weird here, and what's... This is a moment of realisation for Aaron now, looking at the storage facility, because he's now realising what's happened. But Aaron's immediate thought, and again, it's a trust breakdown issue, is because Abe has done this without telling him, Abe has already gone through this day once. Yeah. And therefore, like, has got the jump He's on a bright him. boy, Aaron, isn't he? Because I don't think I would have realised that. No. But I'm not sure he's necessarily right. But Aaron's conclusion is... That Abe has done this day before, and therefore mm. that Aaron has also done this day before. <laughs> but in Aaron's version of the day, he didn't meet Abe. He was at work, presumably. Uh, I hope you're not implying that any day at Cortex Semi is unimportant, Paul. But when Abe came back the second time round, this time he goes to Aaron. Now, I'm not entirely sure I agree with that. It seems to me that both things happen simultaneously. So the, the universe in which Aaron spent the day at work and Abe didn't go and see him, did, I'm not sure that that happened. But that's clearly the implication of what Aaron asks him, which is, you know, never do this to me again, where it affects me. The other it's thing so- is, like, how many times do you have to... I mean, can you not go back and then back and then back and then back? Is that not possible? Or you'd have to have well, the machine on for a really long time to do that. You cannot go back any further than the first time you switched the machine on. Right. However, as we'll see toward the end of the movie, it gets trickier, doesn't it? <laughs> if you pop out, like let's say you're at the very front of the future, you pop out backwards at A, you know, yeah. could you not go in and pop out at A again, kind of thing? Yeah, but... If I switch machine on at 9am on Monday morning, no matter what I do in the future, the earliest I can get back to is 9am on Monday morning. And what do I do then? There's no machine has been on at that point any earlier. Well, then you turn the machine on, don't you? Yeah, and so now the machine is on. Well, it was already was on, right? But, but, now, the mach- but now the machine is on... And I can only come back to 9.10 a.m. I think there needs to be a college course looking at, <laughs> at popular, popular representations of time travel and, and uh, you know, and the philosophical implications that they're based upon or, or that they lead to, you know. So, obviously now, Aaron wants to do it the next day, Tuesday. They've, they've quickly built another box, put it in the storage unit, and they've got a plan. They're going to do pretty much what Abe did the day before. So, in the morning, they're going to go to the storage facility. They're going to call in sick, so they don't have to go to work. They go to the storage room. They'll switch on both boxes on a timer, and then leave the fuck out of there because they don't want to meet themselves coming out. And then they're both going to check into a hotel 
somewhere in a district of town they don't normally hang out in. So there's no possibility of meeting themselves and all of the awkwardness that, that would ensue. They spend most of the day in the hotel, and then early afternoon, they pop along to the library, so they don't have to use any of their own equipment or any or log on to anything, and they they look up stocks that are going to do very well. Over so is this our day. third movie in a row where we use the future to make money? It may well be, Paul. Mm-hmm. Surprised you hadn't suggested it already. So they find stocks where their investment is going to, you know, heavily, you know, capitalised and their investment is not going to be affecting the price. And they're obviously going to invest in them the next day. Well, no, not the next day. Earlier today when they get back in time. Mm -hmm. So armed with this information, they grab their two oxygen canisters. They go along to the storage facility at about 3 p.m., they pop in, and they are going to then emerge that morning, and um, they can then go and make their investments and be richer in the evening. I was surprised how little oxygen there was in a storage unit. What do you mean, how little oxygen? Well, they said, there you know, when they're when sedating, with whatever they were sedating themselves with, the body uses like 0.2 litres of oxygen a minute. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, presumably about, you know, 15 litres an hour. Uh, and they said there's only like 600 litres in a storage unit. I guess maybe that's right. 2.4 cubic metres there. So therefore, you know, like 0.5 cubic metres of oxygen. Potentially, I guess. I'm not sure they got the sums right on that. I mean, it seems like a critical oh, wait calculation. Wait a minute. We, I, 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 we die way before oxygen levels got to 0%, wouldn't we? We died when oxygen levels got to about 14%. Okay, so, yeah, okay. Potentially it's true, yeah. All right, so... um, Now, when they're in the hotel room, they play Scrabble. And uh, here's another detail you probably missed. Well, they didn't get porn magazines. You'd think they'd just get Razmags, wouldn't you? I don't know. What, sharing a room with another bloke? I'm not sure I'd be too comfortable with that. They play Scrabble, and Aaron puts down a word which she says is evacipate. Really? Yeah. Which means... Evacipate? It means... Evacipate. Evacipate. Yeah. Uh, uh, it means to... I don't know. Evacipate. No idea. Is it a word you've heard before, Paul? Never, no. Do you think it's a real word? Probably not, no. Why don't you look it up, do a Google search, see what evacipate means? Or ask Google, what does evacipate mean? You're assuming I know how to spell it. E-V-A-C-I-P-A-T-E. Evacipate. Extrapate, adipate, stipate, stipati, paraphate, dissipate. No, no. Conopate, sinopate. There isn't an evacipate. Well, it's now been coined as a word. (laughs) People have decided that it means to undo the past. (laughs) So eviscerate the past, essentially. Evacipate the past. Uh, Because one thing that they discuss in the evening, I think, of that day 
Aaron has got a sort of arch enemy, this guy called Platts, who somehow pissed him off in the past. And he's about to go and murder Aaron's or Abe's girlfriend, is that right? Or something? No. No. In the evening, they're talking about what they'd do with all this money and what would you do if you could have anything. What would you do if something had no consequences? And Aaron said... If something had no consequences, you wouldn't be attracted to it because it it doesn't really... doesn't have value as a significant event, does it? Well, here's Aaron's explanation. This guy called Platts, who's fucked him over... Yeah. He said he would go to Gabriel Capital, where apparently he works, ask for Joseph Platts, and then when he came out, he would punch him in the nose. (laughs) Okay. And then... Of course, you know, he, he couldn't really do that. He wished he could go back and tell himself not to do it. Mm-hmm. And immediately saying that, of course, Abe and Aaron share an exchange of glance. They're saying all this in front of Aaron's wife, who has no clue what they've been doing. And they don't tell her. Again, another trust issue. But Abe says, you know, you can't do that. You know, Abe uh-huh. is terrified of the consequences of, a, you know, a paradox. Can you go back... Can you do something, then go back and tell yourself not to do it? Um, at this point, Aaron's wife makes a comment about there being rats in the attic. She's heard noises from upstairs. And Aaron says, it's not rats, it's birds, Paul. And this is very important in the film, but a tiny detail that ordinary people who haven't seen it 500 times probably miss. How many times have you seen this film, Richard? I don't know, about 500 times. Have you? I've seen it a lot, yes. Oh, okay. You have to see it more than once. It's just impossible. Oh, oh! before it's me failing to pay attention, now it's I haven't seen it enough times, Richard. I mean, get your thesis right here. The next day, right, they go back. Uh, they're definitely not telling Robin and Philip their partners, right? No. They're hiding all this. They go back through the next day. But well, wait a minute, Richard. Okay, I wanted to wait to the end to get to EQ levels and trust. Would you yeah. really, if if it's, would you really tell your partner, your dumb partner, who don't know nothing about science, all about this? If it were you, your dumb partner. What? What are you saying? It's Am not I about, I, don't, I, well, I, I get what you're saying. It could be trust, but could it not be just practical considerations that other people would run with this as fast as they could and sell it? Wouldn't you want to keep this proprietary information secret? Okay, maybe, yeah. But, well, the way they're using this technology is they're going to just play the stock market until they're all rich, right? Yeah. Um, But how is Aaron going to explain that to his wife, for instance? That's not... He's not got that sorted out, has he? Not saying these are ideas for not doing what they're suggesting, but... um, Let's just make something clear about this film. We discover at the end of the film that Abe was always terrified that something was going to go wrong. And so he has created a failsafe <laughs> that he has not told anybody about so far. The failsafe is another box that he's put in another storage locker. So a third iteration of the same technology, basically. And he set it going before any of this stuff has happened. With the the principle here being that if things turn out in a way that he doesn't like, or things are going wrong, or paradoxes occur... It's been switched on all that time. It's been switched on all that time. So he can always 
get back in that other box, the secret box. So we said Aaron was bright, but Abe's really bright too, isn't he, really? It's cunning, isn't it? Now, you might say that it's a precaution that he's setting this in place so that he can go it's back not, it's control, and stop isn't it? things from happening. It is control. This is the thing. I mean, this is, again, why it's about trust, isn't it? If you can go back earlier than anybody else, you've got the jump on everybody who can't do that. You're Fred in the factory with a master key, aren't you? Exactly. Exactly. Now, it's about this point that the most confusing thing in the movie starts to happen, but you don't know that it's Oh, happening. the most confusing thing. Not that there weren't many other confusing things in this movie. Go on, Richard, carry on. Well, Robin and Philip turn up, and they mention in passing that Aaron did something at a party where Abe's girlfriend, Rachel, was. Yeah. To do with one of Rachel's exes where he went a bit crazy and pulled a shotgun out. That's Nobody right. Got that's, that's what I was talking about, yeah. Nobody got hurt. But apparently Aaron was a bit of a hero doing this. Okay. So obviously he's time travelled to do this, hasn't he? Well, we don't know, we don't know that yet. We can guess, because Aaron's not a hero, is he? So. And the other thing is, we don't see any of it. It's purely mentioned in passing. Very much in passing. Next day at the hotel, they're both in the hotel doing the usual stuff and playing, chucking a football to one another, when Aaron's phone rings, which means that he forgot to turn it off when they went into the hotel room. And he answers it on the basis that he doesn't think the other two can answer it. And he thinks it'll just be okay. I think it was his wife and he just answers her. But later, when they go back through in time, come out again, and then they go and grab something to eat, because hilariously he says... I haven't eaten till later on this afternoon. <laughs> yes. I quite like that joke, actually. It's fairly, very Douglas Adams, because we don't have the tenses, do we, to deal with time travel. That was Douglas Adams' point. So, as they're going for fast food, Aaron's phone rings at exactly the same time, of course. And then there's a discussion about what would happen on a cell phone network if two phones registered the same number. Mm-hmm. Would they both ring? Would one of them ring? Aaron thinks that... They would the both s- ring, obviously. Well. They both have the same SIM. They both have the same access to the network. Shane's theory... Uh, sorry, Aaron's theory uh, that he expresses in the film is that the, 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 the cell towers would reach out, find the first yes. phone that responds, and then not Tra- search any further. And transmit. If the other phone was in the same uh, transmitter locality, it could receive the message too, couldn't it? But if it's not in the same cell, that cell, that other cell probably wouldn't get the message at all. And if that's true, Abe concludes they've broken symmetry. That is to say, back in the hotel, the phone couldn't be ringing at this time. Interestingly, Shane, when he was writing this movie, asked several cell phone providers and technology guys what would happen. Yeah. And they gave him different answers. Wow. <laughs> so, but the important point about this is having broken symmetry and nothing terrible has happened to the universe, they start to think that maybe it is possible to change the past because what they remembered happening in the hotel room perhaps is not happening in the version that they're now going through. Which means that maybe you can go and hit Platts and then 
come back and tell yourself not to do it. And so, uh, oh, by the way, whilst I've been doing this this run through, I think this is Tuesday or Wednesday by now. Uh, Abe notices that Aaron is bleeding from his ear. Yeah, as if there's some weird side effect. You'd think of putting yourself backwards in time. <laughs> so, um, doesn't Abe start bleeding at some point too? Uh, he gets very fatigued, don't oh, they? Because they're spending okay. like thirty-six hour days every day now. So, next um, later that evening, I think one of them, I think Abe, is awoken by kids outside mm. hitting the parked cars, making the alarms go off. And he's a bit, he's upset by it, isn't he? So he decides now is the perfect opportunity to try something. And he goes round to Aaron's house and explains his plan. He says, I've been turning the boxes on at like 6pm every night, just in case. So we can go now, get in the boxes. No, wait, we can go now. You can go and hit Platts in the face. (laughs) Then we can get in the boxes, (laughs) go back to 6pm, tell ourselves not to do it, and I'll tell those kids don't hit the cars and get a good night's sleep. Kill two birds with one stone. Yep. And so, so that's what they do. They set off. But as they set off, they spot a face that they recognise, which is good because we don't recognise him. They say it's Granger. Yeah, who that's is that? Abe's... Partner's um, dad. Girlfriend's dad, yeah. The guy they've been courting for venture capital and stuff. He's got a beard. And they saw him earlier that day, clean-shaven. Mm. How could he now have a, a, a several days of growth? You know, my first race? thought was he's discovered the machine. Exactly. That's what their first thought is as well. Mm. And so now, first of all, they run after him. And as Aaron and Abe catch up to him, they find him, like, passed out in, uh, in a back garden somewhere. So they take him to one of their houses and put him in bed. But they can't get any sense out of him. He won't come round. And they think it's connected with Abe going near him and then some kind of recursion issue occurring. And they have a discussion about why would Granger know um, about the time machines? Who would have told him? Would you have told him? No, I wouldn't have told him. It must have been you then. I wouldn't have told him. No, No reason why I would have done it in an emergency. I don't know. And they can't figure out what could have happened. And at this point, it's clear, well, Abe has obviously decided that he is going to do the fail-safe at this point. By the way, the start of this movie begins with a telephone call, right? This whole thing is being explained to us with a narrator, which is Aaron's voice. This is actually one of the Aaron's that we see at the end. And I say one of the Aaron's. It should be (laughs) hopefully clear, I think. When you do this thing, when you set up the box, you go to the hotel room, you go in the box, you go back through, you have merged in it sort of that, uh, that morning. Mm-hmm. There are then two of you yes. for the period of overlap. If you don't get back in the box, then there will always be two of you. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't mean get back in the box, I suppose. What I mean to say is, um, if I, when I go back in time, if my other self doesn't get in the box in, in the evening, then he will still be there and I will still be there. Yeah. And that's going to be a problem because I only have like one job, one passport, one bank account, right, one set of ID. That's a problem, right? Um, so we then hear the narrator explaining how you can go back really far stay in the box for several days by knocking yourself out and you know several oxygen tanks and stuff and uh, no food but some fluids maybe it must be pretty unpleasant to spend all that time in a coffin several days four days in a coffin or whatever it is and we see Aaron again emerging in a repeat of the first day on top of the roof in the sunlight looking down on Aaron and we then see him go down to speak to Aaron but he's clearly like out of it he's really tired but the conversation starts to unfold the same way that it had doesn't it I hope you're not implying that any day is unimportant at Cortex Semi. Um, but as as that happens, like Abe is so tired he like collapses because he's been up for or in a box for four days. <laughs> and as he does so, the earpiece falls out of Aaron's ear, and you can hear a recording of the conversation that we're familiar with from the first run through of this day. Whoa. So that's Aaron, yeah? That's Aaron, yeah. Presumably at this point, Paul, you, you're wondering what the fuck is happening. But Nasty's Aaron is cleverer than Abe. So how has he done this, then? He explains it, Paul, so it should be easy for you to explain it back. <laughs> well, has it, hasn't he just recorded what's happened as he's gone through in time? Yeah, but if this is the Aaron that we saw... At, at, you know, the beginning of the sequence, as it were. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know about time machines. So how has he recorded anything? Because he's come back in time. How? How did he know that he could do? The, well, the, later on he finds the machine, doesn't he? Yeah, so the story is that Aaron had seen that Abe had more than one room in the storage facility. And he put two and two together and realised... That there was another box running. Whoa. So what he does, and this is not very well explained, but you might blink and you missed you might have missed it. He collapses down another box. He uses Abe's failsafe machine and goes through with the collapse down box. He sets up a new box and sets it running just a couple of minutes later. And he moves the other box into a separate storage room with him still in it, coming backwards in time, presumably. Okay, so he's now back earlier than anybody. So here we're getting double duplicity, aren't we, essentially? Absolutely, yeah. There's brinkmanship in how much they can sort of betray each other, really, isn't there? But there's another Aaron here. So he has to go to his own house... He has to drug himself 
uh, by drugging his milk, effectively. And uh, he he basically takes his... Uh, he carries his own body, drugged, up to his own attic and presumably ties him up in his own attic. That, of course, was the noise that his wife heard earlier. Whoa. Banging in the attic wasn't rats. It was another version of Aaron trying to escape from where he's So all the way through previously, Abe has been talking to a future version of Aaron without realising Correct. It. Yeah. And that's why he's got ear bleeds, because he's using the machine too much. Yes. Well, and also, he's had an earpiece in for all day. My, uh, I have that as well, and my ears don't bleed. He's actually a- attacked by another Aaron who comes back and tries <laughs> to fight him. But um, they come to an agreement, and it turns out that this third Aaron has already recorded all the conversations that he'd planned to do. And so the guy just hands him all the conversations recorded, and... So now he can play through the and that's day. That's where we get drive-by cinema from. Sorry, go on. And then, and then uh, the other Aaron pisses off and goes out to do something else with his life. Um, are we at the end of the movie? Yeah, kind of. We are, aren't we? There's not much more anymore, is there? Well, Apart from them both telling each other to get the fuck out of here and this town's Dodge City's too small for the two of us kind of stuff. Yeah, so at the end of the movie, let's be very clear what we're hearing. Um, you're seeing on screen Abe 2 or Abe, sorry, Abe 2, I think, who've come back from the future through his failsafe box. He didn't realise that it had switched on a few minutes later than he expected. He didn't realise it had already been used effectively. Aaron says they're not one use only. But it's Abe number 2, and it's Aaron 2 or 3, or possibly more. And Aaron is explaining that he came back so that he could make sure that the shotgun guy at Rachel's party didn't do anything crazy and presumably get him arrested and stuff. And he'd had to do that over and over again to get it just right. So he's potentially, yeah, been through going round and round trying to fix that error. But now, now there's another copy of both of them. And Aaron is suggesting that they get out of there and they leave far away and don't trouble themselves, don't trouble their real selves. He says that the guy in the attic, Aaron Zero in the attic, is going to wake up any time now. Abe is determined to stay. And Aaron kind of accuses him of coveting his like happy marriage with his wife and his kid. Mm-hmm. He's got a kid. Uh, things that Abe doesn't have. Uh, but Abe is determined to stay, and he says he's going to stop his previous self, Abe Zero, from building the machine and getting it to work. He's going to keep taking bits out. So, that, you know, their relationship is totally broken down. They're, they're pissed off with one another. They're splitting up. doesn't seem like there's much future for them. You know, I'm not sure how they're going to get by. I guess they're going to... St- Aaron, I think, has stolen the passport so that he can get out of the country the very end of the film mm. we see the Aaron who's been narrating to us over the phone and he was calling back Aaron Zero the original Aaron I suppose he felt guilty about drugging him and putting him in his own attic as you might do 
and he's explaining the entire movie to him effectively that's what we've been hearing as a narration and we see that Aaron building what presumably is a bigger time box well it's the size of a warehouse isn't it he's telling the workers you know every half a meter everywhere which are presumably the coils that they use in their superconducting thing um so I presume he's, he's, yeah. he's, he's rearing an army to take back. But he can't take them back further than the box that he builds. So, yeah. I mean, I've heard a lot of theories about what he intends to do, but it's all speculation. We don't know. We don't know. But if he takes them back to the beginning when that box is built, can they not then catch an aeroplane and go to a... The concurrent box, the first box that would be on at the same time and jump in that one. Can't you jump from box to box? Yeah, but you can only go back to 9am or, well, let's say 8am on Monday when Abe turned on the failsafe box. There's no box earlier than that. Sure, but, I mean, let's say he builds this big box. If that was on at the same time as other boxes, you could... You could like leapfrog from box to box, couldn't you? Get back to the first Monday nine AM box. I suppose what you could do, you could. I mean, you could take back equipment to make another box in the the failsafe box, and quickly unpack it and build it. And if you could do that within an hour, you could come back at ten AM on Monday, or something. You can't go back any earlier than the original Aaron and the original Abe. I don't think. In this worldview of time travel. Right. Mm. So. So, I mean, you think this is setting itself up for a sequel, you know, a big showdown. As as Aaron raises his army of time travellers. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's sequel material because in many ways I think it's perfect as it is. Okay. It's it's not perfect. It's not a perfect film. It's greatly compromised by its budget. Shane admits there are scenes that never got filmed because they just didn't have the budget. A a lot of the exposition is... a lot of things just don't happen on screen. You have to pick them up and figure them out because they're only referred to. Because they never got filmed, perhaps. I mean, it's very densely interwoven. Very dense. Because there's no dense. special effects, there's a lot of storyline. There's absolutely mm. no meat on this film. And everything is significant. Even down to the made-up word playing Scrabble, it seems. <laughs> so, you know, I, I was impressed. I have seen it before vaguely, I think. Uh, I'm sure I made you see it a long time time ago. And it reminded me of the computer game Portal. Uh, And, uh, yeah, like, again, it's comments I've made about Tenet, but I don't think it's really something you can enjoy on a first view, is it? You can be perplexed, intrigued, but it's difficult really to follow along the depth and the complexity that's involved here. And the amount of thought that's gone into making this movie with the way that the movie's been made. So that would be my only concern here. Although it remains a very, very impressive movie. I find it terrifying in a way, because it really is like they're messing with some proper fundamental physics, you know, in a way that... Mm. 
You know, you know all the stories about when they were switching on the Large Hadron Collider about the possibility of making a black hole yes. or a strangelet that would consume the universe kind of thing. The kind of collider version of the Millennium Bug. Or, yeah, when when they were testing in, in the, uh, the first atomic bomb and they thought they might ignite the atmosphere. Um, or yes. create wormholes, potentially. Yeah, it's messing with big existential stuff. And yet, you know, they're doing this in the garage. Garage. Um, you know, this idea that, you know, what happens if you change the past? And also that terrifying, horrific feeling that Aaron has that someone has got one over on him or that, you know, it's it's a kind of grand fear of missing out, isn't it? It's FOMO on a grand scale. Are you lived that? the day without me and what you know you know what did i do on that day that you were doing something else that's it's such a strange thing to grapple with it's a sort of horror movie you know it's a horror movie where two friends end up being like trying to one up each it's existential other. horror definitely yeah. it's frankenstein isn't it really in essence uh yeah garage actually there's three ways to pronounce garage one is garage. Garage, yeah. The second yes. is the posh English way, which is garage. 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 And the American way is garage. Garage, yeah. There we go. Three ways to do it. You take your pick, and you drink your poison. So, yeah. So, I, I love the complexity. I just don't think really they have the resources to quite pull it off. Uh, but admirable nonetheless. However, I did get confused, and I don't think I... I mean, I was paying a, a moderate amount of attention. It's not... It's something you really have to sit down and focus on. I did so, tell you that, Paul. You did, and I You didn't it. listen to me. Yeah, because... Probably, I, you probably watched it in the back of back of a car on your phone. Here we go again. Right, okay. That is egregious, Richard. I did not. Paul was a pillion passenger on a motorcycle while he watched Primer out the corner of his eye. <laughs> I, I pay full attention, but I, I gave it an average amount of attention. You know, I'm not going to watch something beyond the interested commands because that's just not what how reviews movies is it? You know, you have to take it as it is. It was it, it was interesting and it held my attention. However, there was just too much that needed to be attended to. Would you watch it again? Yeah, I would watch it again. I, I wouldn't say the same for ten. I would watch this again. I love the stylistics. You know, really, I, I think it takes us to an era where lives were very different. You know, people didn't splurge on self-indulgence like self-indulgence like they did today. It's good to see that, I think. <laughs> did you watch with subtitles on? No. Oh, right, okay. Because it's famous for having... I mean, like Tenet, it's famous for having some pretty ropey audio for some of the dialogue. I, that wasn't a problem for me. Oh, good. good. It was with Tenet. Well, a lot of this was uh, dubbed. They did a lot of ADR, I think, because he didn't have good equipment for recording sound on, on set, on, on location. I mean, there's a lot of location shots, and it's so atmospheric of an academia that I think doesn't exist anymore. I'll go back to it 20 years no, ago. No, it's all location shots, Paul. They didn't buy a studio. Right? <laughs> you know, It was got... filmed in his parents' house. That was that stood in for the garage and the house and stuff. And then various locations. Well, the, I mean, I think, I've got to start with acting, right? Yeah. Uh, 
I think it's really good from an acting point of view. Uh-huh. Considering they did it, almost all of this with one take. Really? I think it was only one scene, maybe, they did two takes on. Very few. They just couldn't afford the film. Uh-huh. So they rehearsed it all. Uh, but, you know, an amazing, an amazing job. So I'm going to give it an eight for acting. And uh, you, Paul? Uh, I mean, I thought the acting was convincing. Now that I know the blonde guy, Abe, was a professional actor, that kind of makes more sense. Uh, they did well. They did well to rope in the cameraman uh, to, you know, to his five-minute walk-on, uh, and they did well to keep it to two two actors. I think so. All in all, it held together very well. A seven point five. Did it lose I mean, the plot, or did it keep its plot? Is there a better plotted movie in the world? I don't know. It's sort of perfectly crafted. Great expectations by Charles Dickens. It wasn't a movie, though, was it? It is now. This this was, I guess, written before it became a screenplay. Uh, for me, this is a 9.5. It's an... It's just an astonishing, unbelievable achievement, this film. It didn't lose the plot, but did, did it let us lose the plot whilst it didn't lose the plot? I'm not entirely convinced. I'm going to have to score it down to a nine, although I do admit it is very complete uh, and it squares its own circle, so to speak, entirely. I don't think you have to understand the time bits to, to get the point of this movie. That's the mm. thing. It's very clever. Special effects, Richard. Well, there was only one special effects shot wasn't there? True. Its understatedness is its strength in many ways. Uh, so, maybe you would have benefited from seeing some kind of flashing lights when the, they were going back in time so you could figure it out. Yeah, or like a fast car that moves through <laughs> a car park being shot up by, by renegade Arabs. I mean, I don't know about special effects, but Again, the technical achievement for making this film on the budget that they had, it's got to be an eight, hasn't it? It has. When we reach special effects, I guess we can talk about the props and the, you know, the minutiae of kind of that, I don't know what you call it, like lab... Lab Lab chic. Lab punk. You know, there's a certain amount of lab punk about, wasn't there, Uh, in terms of the box. It's kind of like you can see it's been welded together, the different, like, Different, uh, different metal sheets. It reminds me of a lot of like self-made lab equipment you'd see in a university, you know, physics department. So oh, yeah, I, it was authentic. So yeah. I thought that you know that lab punk was very, very convincing, uh, and it didn't really need the special effects. So I'm going to score it seven point five for effects and special effects. All right. So time paradoxes then, time travel, and and the rest. Time yeah, I, I think the way it's constructed is pleasingly self-consistent. Uh, I'm not sure I entirely get it just yet. Uh, but yeah, good. 8.5. And I can't really say much more about it because that's as much as I understand. Again, this is a 9. The only possible way you can mark it down is to say that it is perhaps too complicated. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it really hard... There are things that don't quite make sense, but it's still brilliant uh, and an exemplary time travel movie. Overall, this movie is a 9.5. Whoa, I don't think Richard's ever scored, I think, quite so high 
in his whole life. It's like Christmas has come to Scrooge at last. <laughs> well done. Well done. Well done, this movie primer for curing, for curing old Scrooge there, of his wizened, mean heart. Well, what do you give it, Paul? I give it 8.5. Generous. That's very high, Paul. Happy soul very that high. I am. See, the biggest the problem with this film... If you can make a film like this for seven thousand dollars, absolutely, yeah. It shames yeah. everybody that you, ha- you know. Why haven't you made a film? What's stopping you? I'm just waiting until uh, Mid Journey can animate. <laughs> then I'm just like everybody else. You two will be played with fifteen-minute shorts made by everybody, <laughs> as you well know. Okay. Paul, you know, we've made a mistake because we haven't pre-discussed what the hell Shall we're we Shall we press next. pause right now? No, I think we should do it on, uh, online. Well, I've already seen in the cinema this week a new release. I saw the Dungeons and Dragons movie, Honor Amongst Thieves. Now, do I have any grounding to be able to let Richard not talk for 60 minutes about that? No, I don't. No, but you so, might not want to go and see it in the cinema. Let me give you an alternative. Show of hands who wants to hear Richard's voice for 61 minutes out of 60. Okay, so what's the choice <laughs> What's the choice that's set against that, Richard? What's the bookcase? How about, what's the bookend that holds the, that holds the tomes up on the other side? How about there is, um, there is uh, a film that some of our listeners have mentioned, which is one that you mentioned. I think you've already... I think you've already seen it, though. It's One Hour Photo with Robin Williams. Yeah, it's a good movie. A bit scary. Yeah, well, if you don't want to see it again, we don't have to. Is this the first... Is this the first uh, Dungeons and Dragons movie? Ah, well, there's a long story there. It's not the first, but it's is not it the part first of a in this finance multiverse? Yes, yes it is. Lives. Stop right there. It's going to be Dungeons and Dragons because I'm confident I'll be able to see it, Richard, within the next week. That was a Series 3, Episode 35. Goodbye and thank you for listening. Join us on 36 next time. Ciao for now. See you on the next one. Thank you.